Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 246 or 246. My name is John O'Logan and we are on the tail end of a great holiday weekend for many of us. Uh, hopefully it was a good one for you. I had some fun, you know, just online and I saw I saw a video that's very old and I've never seen it before of, I think it's a San Diego fireworks show and they set off 7,000 fireworks at once at the same time accidentally in 2012. So a 17 minute show was 30 seconds long and it's one of the funniest internet videos I've ever seen. It was amazing. Um, I would love to go to a fireworks show like that, providing that I had earplugs. Um, but I am not alone today. Joining us on this episode of Random Encounter are Des Miller. Yellow. And Dom Kim. Oh, hello. Uh, did either of you, I mean, Dom, I, let me see here. So I had a good Canada day because then that was July 1st. Uh, the 4th of July was, as of this recording, yesterday. Uh, Des, did you have a good 4th of July? Uh, for the most part, aside from all of the explosions at midnight, um, it's been pretty great. I was up till uh, 2 in the morning on Canada Day playing a video game, and when I went to bed, Amanda was dead asleep, and I get into bed, and all of a sudden, just fireworks go off, like all of them at the same time. Again, kind of like the San Diego uh, fireworks thing. Uh, I just, I figured that someone had like fireworks left over and they were like, oh, might as well fire off all of them at two o'clock in the morning. So that was fun. Uh, and Dom, I know that you celebrate neither Canada Day nor Independence Day, but you are on, you know, summer break, right? Indeed, I am enjoying it quite See, well that's so like far. A, that's like a giant holiday weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could think of it that way. <laughs> exactly. It's lovely. Um, well, I mean, we, you know, we just had... Canada Day, Independence Day, I guess summer holiday. But realistically speaking, for gamers, the, the biggest holiday, the biggest, um, I guess, holiday is uh, Nintendo Direct Day. And these are very, these are never regular, but we knew we were going to get one by the end of June. And surprise, surprise, we got one uh, just after uh, the last episode of Random Encounter went up. So I, I still wanted to talk about it because there was some amazing, uh, you know, news and things like that. This was not a first party Nintendo Direct, so we didn't get any news about Breath of the Wild 2 or anything, but it was focused on third party. It was a mini, so it's not like their giant one. But for RPG fans and adventure game fans, and holy crap, there was a lot of stuff shoved into this Nintendo Direct for us. So I just want to talk about it for a bit. Um, the first thing they really did a highlight on was Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. Uh, now we're going to be doing uh, a, a deep dive into that game in just a few minutes, so we're not going to talk about that there. Uh, but did I, I know both of you have been playing it constantly? Did that little tease wet your whistle for Sunbreak? Um, yeah. I mean, it was a it was a good good way to hype myself up a couple of days before release. Even though I did play the demo a tiny bit, so I guess it wasn't like a, it was like a completely new thing. But it was still it was still a good way to hype things up. I think uh, for me, it just made the wait a lot harder because I got to play the demo a little bit as well. And then when you get the teaser of here's more that's not even in the demo yet, it was just like, ah, it's so close. I want it. Yeah, they did a lot of announcements of just like like just tons of stuff. It's it's amazing to me. It, it really says how high Monster Hunter's uh, star has risen that it was the it got such a prominent spot in the Nintendo Direct and people just you know, they're loving this game. Mm -hmm. But we'll talk about all that in a minute. Let's talk about some of the other uh, big announcements from the Nintendo Direct. Uh, Near Automata, the end of Yorha edition. I'm, I think I'm saying that right. That's the fun part about Near. You're never quite sure if you're pronouncing anything correctly. Um, or you have, or you're, if you're not really paying attention, haven't memorized the entire number at the end. Yeah, of, that's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is coming out on the... Uh, switch and i feel like near automata is the kind of game that 
would translate really, really well to the handheld nature of the Switch. Have either of you played Nier Automata? Indeed, I have multiple times, even though it's been some time since my last playthrough of it. Well, this might be an excuse for another one. <laughs> it's uh, one of my favorite games, and the last time I played it was kind of testing the, you know, how it ran on the PS5. So it's going to be interesting to see how it runs on this Switch. Yeah. You know what? I have an odd feeling it's probably not going to run as well as it does on the PS5. Mm -hmm. Ah, there's a chance. They just got to knock down the resolution to like 140 maybe. Yeah, and uh, 10 frames a second. That'll be perfect. Uh, it's, it's one of those games that, frankly speaking, I never you know I, i'm surprised i didn't think we'd see it on the switch i thought we might see it on like the super switch or the switch pro or the mm. switch 2 or whatever the follow-up to it was i wasn't expecting to see this one come out on switch so it was a nice surprise and it looks like it's coming with uh, a lot of extra content and and stuff so if you are a switch owner and you have always looked at near and been like ah i want to play that but you never have uh your opportunity is coming fast might this be another start of another skyrim where oh. near gets ported onto every system near gets uh near gets installed on a toaster <laughs> there'd be an unironic beauty to that uh if it's like able to run on your smart fridge i mean it's a game that is i got it for christmas uh so that got added to i can bump it up my backlog quite a bit so it's going to be on there i don't need it on switch because i have it on pc and i'm not going to buy it on two systems unless i really really love it i only ever buy okay do you do you guys do this too? Like if I adore a game, like if I just absolutely love a game, uh, will you buy it on more than one system if that system offers something different? Like for me, Switch, you know, it's portable. So to me, buying a port for the Switch is a value that I am willing to, uh, it's something I'm willing to spend on. Yeah, but I usually, I usually in the past, I did that for multiplayer games because I would have friends who would only play on the console and friends who would only play on the PC. So if the if the game was on sale for like PC or P, or on the console, I would usually try and pick up a, a second copy of it there. For me, it depends on what the game is. Like for the Atelier games, I buy them on as many platforms as I can just to kind of support the series. Mm -hmm. um, but for like multiplayer games, like fighting games, you know, there's uh, especially in the past, there's been no uh, what's it like cross platform play. So you'd have to you know, buy it on Xbox to play with some friends over here and then buy it on PC to play over there, mm -hmm. buy it on PS4 to play over there. So it does kind of depend. But uh, I do have like, I think, seven copies of Resident Evil 4. So every wow. time it gets ported, I pretty much have to buy it at this point. And there's a remake coming out for it soon, isn't it? Yes, sometime next year, I believe March 2023. Ooh. I was very surprised when they announced it because they just they just did the uh, the VR version of Resident Evil 4 a while ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, for my money, it's been a while since I played them. But for my money, Resident Evil 4 is the only one of the earlier games that actually still holds up as well as it did when it was first released. Yes, that is very true. I play, actually played it a couple months ago, and it's surprisingly still a very palatable experience, even on PC. Yeah, with con yeah with certainly more so than 1, 2, or 3. It has. So I was surprised when they announced the uh, the remake. And then what your conversation here, just I was, I was thinking, oh, I know what's going on. Capcom wants to release this version for the next 20 years on every possible <laughs> platform as well. And that's another seven copies I'll have to buy. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it, it looks interesting. I haven't seen enough of it yet to want to play it uh, as compared to the original, but we'll see if they expand it to the same extent that they expanded uh, RE2. Mm -hmm. I think RE3 remake actually had less content than the original, which was a shame. But uh, speaking of Capcom uh, revisiting legacy games, they are releasing something that 
uh, surprised a lot of people and in a very good way, which is Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection. Uh, so yeah, Battle Network was a uh, was a uh, spinoff series of Mega Man for the Game Boy Advance and the DS. It was there. It was on portable um, for many years and many 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 games. Uh, and they're releasing this Legacy Collection. And uh, holy crap, there is a lot of friggin' there are a lot of games going to be coming out in this. So it's going to be Battle Network, Battle Network Two, Battle Network Blue and White. Battle Network Red Sun, Blue Moon, uh, uh, Mega Man Battle Network 5, Mega Man Battle Network 6. Like, there's a lot of freaking games coming out in this uh, in this package. Mm-hmm. Uh, have either of you played the Mega Man Battle Network, uh, any of them, really? It's a, it's a game series that I missed out on, despite the fact that I adore Mega Man. Uh, I haven't seen any of them. or Well, I've seen them, but I haven't played them. All I've ever seen are, like, the screenshots of all the, like, really terrible slash really amazing puns like h2o2 the sequel to water like and they always seem like really charming and really fun games i just never really got around to them but the thing that surprised me most is that there's 10 of them i thought there were two yeah there was a lot of these games for i mean pretty much every handheld system uh well every handheld system with the name nintendo on it uh, had these things it's crazy how many games are going to be like it's going to be a really really great value yeah i can't argue with that even though it seems a lot of them seem to be like, like numerically it only goes up to six but like four and five have like two variations each so yeah yeah five and six yeah it seemed like they kind of did the the pokemon thing of releasing two versions of one game but i'm not exactly sure how that works but um this collection here will kind of be my first foray into the uh battle network games and kind of excited because i'm not a huge Mega Man fan but you know it's the battle system and all of the humor and the world just seems amazingly interesting and i'm excited for this to come out yeah uh i mean god only knows what what could be next maybe they'll do a maybe they'll release Mega Man legends one or two again i know our fearless leader mr uh, salvato would be a uh, very happy if that was announced mm-hmm. so yeah that's going to be another one of those insane value packs of games kind of like the metro or the uh castlevania advanced collection that got released a while ago uh the announcement that got me going the most uh, in this, even though I knew it was coming already, uh, is Return to Monkey Island. So Switch is going to be the exclusive console, so it'll be doing a, a Switch PC release, but it won't be on anything else for a little while. Uh, and this actually had quite a bit of controversy uh, this week online because the internet is a happy, wonderful place where fans celebrate games instead of tearing them down. Uh, so the discourse about the graphic style of return to monkey island got so bad that it drove off some of the developers uh from the internet uh oh which, no yeah uh, it, it it drives me friggin crazy about because i mean given style? on the art style of return to monkey island because what they wanted i assume they either wanted uh pixel art in the style of monkey island one or monkey island two uh, lechuck's revenge or they wanted uh, a return to the like Disney animated style of Curse of Monkey Island. Mm. And what they got instead is uh, very, very stylized art, uh, which in my opinion kind of looks beautiful and I think is going to be gorgeous on when it's released. Um, but, you know, gamers want what gamers want. And if they don't like how something looks, they're vocal about it, sometimes to the extent of ruining it for everybody else. Yeah, I mean the graphical style. I mean, it's not my it's not my style, but it still certainly has a lot of charm to it. I will say it's a choice. Like mm-hmm. I can totally get how someone could look at it and be like, "Whoa, this is Monkey Island, really." Um, 
but then again, take a step back, guys. It's it, it looks good, and the talent is there, and they're going to tell the story. And it looks like, based on what I've seen, it actually does look like it's going to be. People were speculating that it was going to be only a sequel to Monkey Island uh, and Monkey Island Two, and it was going to ignore uh, Curse of Monkey Island, Escape from Monkey Island, and the uh, Telltale Adventure games. But it looks that that's not going to be the case. It looks like uh, it's going to be a sequel to all of them. Murray, the evil demonic skull is there and he was introduced in Curse of Monkey Island. So uh, I am very excited for Return to Monkey Island. It's been a long time since I played a Monkey Island game and I adore them. Uh, have either of you played Monkey Island in the past? Uh, unfortunately, I've not, even though it's always it always definitely has been like one of those games I've known about, mm-hmm. but I haven't I've just never gotten around to playing them, fortunately. Uh, for me, I haven't played them, but I've seen them played. My uncle used to play a lot of PC games back in the day, like Warcraft 2 and some D&D game that was black and white that I can't remember the name of. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've always just kind of associated it with my uncle mm-hmm. for some reason. So when I look at Monkey Island, I think of him and I'm like, oh, he played a lot of strange games. Uh, never played him myself, but looking at the art style for this one, like it seems pretty nice and so i think once people get their hands on it um it'll kind of you know show its charm and uh style a little better than you know videos and screenshots can do um but i mean personally and looking at the screenshots of the telltale ones i think this looks better than the telltale ones for sure yeah the telltale ones um how do i put this the telltale ones look like a telltale game from that period it's uh they they look okay but like telltale had a definite art style and uh, their engine, their engine, it looks like a Telltale game. And I actually, I liked the story, and I liked a lot of the puzzles and the characters. I did not much care for the control scheme, which was like a hybrid uh, movement point-and-click adventure game and moving with the mouse. It was it was a very weird hybrid uh, combination that wasn't my cup of tea. So I'm I'm thrilled that they're going back to traditional. Uh, adventure game style and i'm very excited for this game i will not be getting on the switch i'll be getting on the pc so i can play it with a mouse Mm -hmm. some of the other games that got announced well not announced but they got uh highlighted uh is another sequel uh mario plus rabbits sparks of hope so this is the follow-up to the previous mario and rabbits uh strategy rpg game um which we covered this is tangentially in our coverage uh, we we covered the first one, so we're going to cover this one too because they're just a lot of fun. Uh, have either of you played Mario Plus Rabbits? I have not actually, but you know, I <laughs> I I have always enjoyed the the Rabbids series side of things. They've been around. They've just been a, they've just been something. They've been I've, here for a while. Yeah. yeah. So they've just kind of you know I just enjoy the aesthetic, general aesthetic of it of the Rabbit series. So maybe I'll get around to playing it, but mm-hmm. I just haven't you know played any of them so far i haven't played the mario and rabbit series but since they're kind of based on that xcom style and had a lot of fun with the xcom style games like uh, troubleshooter for example um, i've always wanted to see more developers experiment with it and just be weird with it so mario and rabbit's the first one looks like really interesting and i've always wanted to try it out just never got around to it um, i'm also a fan of the rabid versions of characters so seeing like you know rabid mario and rabid or sorry rabid luigi and rabid peach um it's always amusing and with the antics that they get up to it it adds a little bit of chaos to characters that we already know um so it seems like really interesting really fun and you know maybe they'll put out a double pack that i can get for fairly cheap 
and uh, give these games a whack. It'd be nice. I haven't played through the whole thing. I've played some of it, uh, and I enjoyed it, actually. It's a, like you said, it's a, it's a pretty good spin on the XCOM strategy uh, game, but with like more elements of RPGs introduced. And it's Mario, and it, it's, it's a very unique use of the IPs that I think... I'm, I'm, I was surprised when the first one came out. I was even more surprised when they announced the sequel. But a lot of people are really looking forward to it. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing more about the game. Um, another game that got, well, not announced, but much more uh, footage was Dragon Quest Treasures. Uh, and I got to be honest, I'm not entirely certain what this is. Like we've, it, It's starring Eric and Mia from uh, Dragon Quest Eleven. Um, which, you know, there, I, I think Eric is one of the better characters in Dragon Quest Eleven. I think I'm on record as not, I mean, I'm very much in the minority about not loving Dragon Quest Eleven. Uh, so, uh, but Eric was one of my preferred characters in that game. So the idea of these two going on like a treasure hunt together is an intriguing one. And it looks really, really cute. It's going for a little bit more of a cartoony uh, style where Eric and Mia look more like kids than their adult selves. Uh, and it still looks, it looks like Dragon Quest. Uh, so this is a game that I think could be pretty fun, actually. It looks pretty fun, but I also kind of have no idea what the game is. Um, when it comes to Dragon Quest, I've only beaten two of them. I've beaten Dragon Quest 1 and Dragon Quest 11. So I've kind of bookended the series in a sense. Uh, and there's a few I, games between those two. Just yeah, like one or two. Uh, I own a bunch, but I just, I haven't unlocked or unwrapped them yet. Mm-hmm. So for 11 i liked it there are some things that i didn't like but that's more about like structure and you know the act three kind of stuff so something that kind of focuses a little more on at least from what i can tell the the light-hearted fun nature of like you know the two siblings you know treasure hunting uh that seems like it would be you know ripe for just all kinds of antics and like just fun gameplay overall uh, but still just looking at the trailer it's it's hard to pinpoint just what exactly this is going to end up being, uh, but I am definitely looking forward to it and want to see more. I'm very sad that Retro Encounter has already done a spoiler cast episode of Dragon Quest Eleven uh, years ago, um, and probably won't do another one. I, I say that, but it's it's Solosia and it's Dragon Quest, so God knows it might happen. Um, because I, I would like to go on that. I would love to go on uh, a, have a good conversation about Dragon Quest Eleven uh, with people who passionately, passionately love it. And just talk about the game and talk about its structure and why I think some of it really works and is extraordinarily uh, effective. And some of it is just like, in my opinion, the last chapter, terrible. Yeah, like everything leading up to that was some of the highest points. And there were some events that happened and some character growth. And it was just amazing, just really strong, you know, kind of bring a tear to the eye to see how far, you know, certain characters go and how they change and then nope things happen (laughs) ah well uh yeah so dragon quest treasures looks like it could be interesting uh there were a few other announcements in this nintendo direct but i think the big announcement that people expected but at the same time uh was a little bit surprising based on how uh i guess visually stunning this game is and whether or not it could even run on the switch uh persona is finally coming to the nintendo switch uh they announced that Persona 5 Royal is going to be coming later this year, and Persona 3 Portable and Persona 4 Golden will be coming sometime after that. Uh, a lot of this was a, kind of following an announcement that these games are going to be coming to other platforms such as PC, which holy crap, I'm excited about. 
and uh, 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 Xbox and a few others. So Switch is getting them too. And I think it's a really, really good fit for the Nintendo Switch. And not just mm. because Nintendo is the traditional home of Shimigami Tensei. It's true. I'm surprised it took them this long, honestly, for Persona to get hit, ported over to the Switch. I think yeah. Atlas finally woke up and realized they do like money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What is what has been interesting is when this was first announced for the uh, Xbox and Windows Game Store and nothing else at the time, it was a little baffling at first because it's like, well, you finally ported it to other systems, but it seemed like they were locking it down to like Game Pass and Xbox and then more information kind of rolled out. And there was that little gap in all of the logos where Switch would fit nicely and you <laughs> could hear like everyone that I know uh complaining like where's the switch version where's the switch version when's the direct and so finally having this to where yes it's you know persona 3 4 and 5 for everyone except stadia users uh it's kind of nice to see atlas putting other games on other platforms and hopefully we see it the other way around like getting smt5 on playstation xbox pc somewhere that it runs at a higher frame rate than you know 12 yeah i mean i i I have to admit i if anyone asked me the question, which would be ported to Switch first, Persona 5 Royal or the Final Fantasy Pixel remasters, I would not have said Persona 5 Royal. It's still a little baffling that the Pixel remasters are not on anything else yet, especially Switch. I would say that there must be some kind of exclusivity deal in place, but like it's only on PC and mobile platforms. So it's not like they made a deal with Apple or something like that. It's a, it's a weird choice from Square, mm. um, Square Enix, but... Square Enix makes all kinds of weird choices, and so does Atlas, but this is not one of the weird choices. This one is a no-brainer, and I look forward to hearing how Persona 5 Royal runs on the Nintendo Switch. I, I, I'm less interested to hear how Persona 3 Portable and Persona 4 Golden run on it. I suspect that the hardware is perfectly fine to run those two games, but 5 Royal? That'll be interesting. It'll be fun, I hope. Yeah, but you know what? I have been slagging the Switch uh, and its its graphic capabilities uh, for a little while now uh, in this Nintendo Direct uh, news segment. And the reality is that there are a lot of games out there that for the Nintendo Switch that look absolutely gorgeous, creating uh, incredible immersive worlds that really pull you in. And uh, boy, you want to explore those ecosystems and kill all the creatures in said ecosystems. Mm-hmm. And uh those ga- that game that I was just talking about would be Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, this is a game that got released a few years ago. Uh, we have two reviews for it on the site. Uh, both of them are written by you two. Uh, Des, you gave it a 90. Dom, you gave it a 92. You were both really big fans. And I know that you're both very big fans of the Monster Hunter uh, series in general. So uh, it must have been super exciting that the expansion just came out and this is monster hunter rise sunbreak so this is the dlc for rise uh i'm from what i have heard it is pretty much it's kind of like a brand new game using the same mechanics as rise but it's like a new town uh new story well as much story as monster hunter games have really um and this game has been uh to say it's been positively received by both the fan base and by uh consumers is mild because it has sold 2 million units thus far uh since its release a few days ago and that is insanely impressive when you consider that you must own Rise already to uh you know play this game so mm-hmm. that is it's it's kind of an indication of just how passionate this fan base is um 
so yeah, it, it sounds it's continuing to capitalize on its rise in the mainstream that Monster Hunter has had for the last few years. And uh, I've talked to both of you very, very briefly about Sunbreak. And uh, it's terrible, right? I just I hear it's horrible. Horrible for my sleep schedule, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> horrible for my time as well. It's like get off work, play Monster Hunter, go to sleep, wake up, play Monster Hunter, go to work. Think about yeah. think about what gear to get. It's crazy because I'll be trying to sleep, and then in my head, I'll start seeing like great sword surge slash combos, and that makes it harder to sleep. Because I'm like, no, that's wrong. I'll, I'll be, I'll like be lying in bed and be like theor- and still like thinking about, hmm, if I use if I use this armor set. Or maybe get this charm, and I could run this. Then I could run these these skills on my armor instead for this series, which might be better. Or like, yeah, it's just theory crafting in my head all the time. Or the existential question of how many sharpening cycles do I actually need? <laughs> well, let me uh, ask a few questions about this. Uh, so, as I understand it, this is not like a uh, this is not a, a DLC that you can just do whenever you want. This is you actually need to have played. Uh, monster hunter rise to get to the dlc you can't just start it from the start right Mm -hmm. yep it requires you to finish the main story i think uh and then in that sense this game is uh i would say quote unquote hard uh because it's it's an end game it's a piece of end game content essentially uh where if you are if you you need to know what you are doing in order to advance and have fun with this game i don't know about hard um especially with monster hunter rise um compared to previous entries it's been more accessible and easier to get into and when i was looking at just reviewing my review and dom's review uh we both kind of lamented the difficulty or lack thereof in rise so it being a very like easier game to get into you have so many tools and options that'll help you get through it um they also provide like what they call defender uh, armor and weapons so it's like higher mm-hmm. uh, stronger gear to help new players kind of get more acclimated with the systems and not have to worry about you know getting hit and killed and in, in, you know one hit uh it's i guess one of my problems with rise overall was just that it was too easy but for people like myself who has been playing this series for like 15 years that's a complaint that i think just people like me and probably dom are going to have but any newcomer is probably going to have the time of their life and feel great just you know pummeling these monsters uh making new builds like seeing new scary creatures that can can kill you in one hit if you don't know what you're doing yeah i feel like in in the base version of rise it was like the players got a very got a very noticeable upgrade in what they could do especially compared to world because um they're given a, a lot of verticality and they're given a lot more defensive tools to for the monster fights, but the monster fights themselves are still from like world or like I guess previous entries, even though I haven't um, played them. But like from like previous entries, which were very still very much mostly like ground based attacks, you know, monsters can't really punish a lot of the new like options given to the players. So like previously in like world, if you got knocked down. You were you you just kind of had to accept your fate of whether the of like the monster punching you to death. But in base rise, you can like wire bug. You can just zip out of it, kind of. But um, so that was like one of the reasons right base rise felt a little bit too easy, along with some weapons being kind of overtuned. But I feel like Sunbreak does a pretty good job. Like a lot of the monsters in Sunbreak, I feel have are very much adjusted to the to the new power level that the players have gotten in rise. So Sunbreak definitely feels like a much more engaging experience so with sunbreak as they added 
new moves, monsters hit harder. They It feels like they tune their AI just a little bit uh, to kind of react better to mm-hmm. your moves because like with Rise, is it feels like you're using next-gen equipment, but the monster's still on the last gen. Yeah. And so way. like being able to counter through attacks that like I as a dual blade user normally should not be able to counter um it it kind of felt unfair and unbalanced but sunbreak has like when i've been playing through it with a friend there's been a lot of challenging fights mm-hmm. um some monsters put up less of a fight than others some go down you know in four or five minutes still but there's been some really interesting like i wouldn't say difficulty spikes but nice little hills to where it feels like oh this monster is doing stuff that i've never seen before yeah. it's doing things that i didn't expect like uh one monster for example is uh pyra rachna kadaki which is the the spider mm-hmm. thing with yeah, lava yeah. um in the base game i remember it not really attacking behind itself as much i could be wrong but i noticed when i first fought it in sunbreak that whenever i got behind it it was ready to smash its whatever you want to call that tail thing down mm-hmm. on top of me um so it a lot of the monsters have new and interesting moves and it feels like they kind of gave some of them the equivalent of the wire bug like what we have in a mm-hmm. sense of where it's like here's new mechanics that you as the player are gonna have to figure out and counter and some of them just might catch you by surprise and before you know it you're you know being pushed in a cart back to the camp and yeah. embarrassing the other three hunters in your party yeah i feel like a lot of the monsters in Sunbreak they've once they once they become enraged they start double tapping you so when like in base rise like a lot of the one of the things about rise is that a lot of the weapon types all of a sudden they could just like straight up just square up against the monster and just counter a lot of their attacks but um in rise like the monsters once they are enraged they they a lot of the moves have follow-up as well so even if you counter the first attack you will get hit by the second one so now it's no longer just you know haha i play longsword and i have like three counters built into my weapon so monsters can never hit me but now it's actually like oh i have to i have to actually actually react properly with the right moveset and that's the the one thing that i always wanted is that i want the monsters to like counter my counter or Mm -hmm. to challenge my defensive options and that's always been really interesting especially in in sunbreak like you said where you know they'll they'll do a combo or a counter or another follow-up to something that you weren't expecting like um tetranodon the the big sumo kappa Mm -hmm. platypus turtle thing uh he, I think he had a, a grab in the base game, but the follow-ups that he has make you really kind of stay on your toes. And, you know, because once he grabs you, yes, you can get out, but he still might, you know, fling a rock at you or come charging at you right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been really interesting, a nice uptick in difficulty. And then speaking of weapons, one thing that I found really great is when I was looking at my review, I mentioned that the weapons already felt kind of perfect and i had no idea just how much better the like switch skill swapping system that there is mm-hmm. would make them feel it's it's like opening up a whole new world and changing fights dynamically oh yeah the switch skill swapping is is really nice um i've been well i've been using the long sword most of the time and like there's a very clear um there's very there are two very clear like different long sword play styles now and just having the flexibility of being able to switch between them is is super nice especially because the 
now they are also adding they're also adding skills that like encourage you to switch a lot between the different skill sets because so like there's a there's a there's a new armor skill where you switch between the different um the switch skill sets that you have um you work you recover some hp so yeah i feel like the the scroll system i the first time around like when i first saw it i was like oh i'm like i'm never going to use this i'm just gonna i'm just gonna stick with one the one thing that is perfectly fine-tuned to my tastes and just never switch from that but like that's not (laughs) been the case at all like i've been switching i've been switching between the scrolls a lot and it feels good it's very fluid it doesn't really detract from the flow of the battle either despite it having like a mini like like animation when you do it (laughs) it's it's still it's still very smooth and like there's a very easy dodge like added onto it as well right after so it's yeah i was surprised by just how well it how well implemented it is despite it being a brand new feature and i i guess for jano and anyone who hasn't played the games before the the switch skills you essentially have like five slots of moves that you can change to different moves so you can kind of tailor your play style to be like if you want to be more aggressive or more defensive or more aerial or more like uh you know evasion based uh with sunbreak they introduced a system to where you can have two loadouts and so you can change any of those five moves to you know certain moves within that uh button but you can do it on the fly so like for me as i've been playing greatsword a lot recently which is a big slow heavy weapon does a ton of damage but when you miss it really hurts and so some monsters will get enraged and run all over the map or just zip back and forth and they're really hard to hit so with greatsword it's been really nice to uh, swap to my different scroll and go for a more faster uh, move set even though i'm doing less damage i'm still getting more hits so it's really nice and kind of changes the flow it makes combat way more dynamic way more interesting and you never feel like oh crap the monster is running all over the place there's no way i can hit it it's you you always have an option available and that's what's kind of making the weapons like at least in some cases feel like perfect and then some where with other ones where they felt eh, maybe a little a little weaker uh they're definitely brought up to you know they bring the skill like floor and options you have available kind of brings it all up yeah it really feels like um like every weapon can be used against every monster this time around like i see um like maybe not so much in base rides but one thing i felt very clearly in world was that some weapons in certain monster matchups are just you're going to have a horrendous time like the hunt is going to take 30 minutes you're going to burn through all your potions and you're just going to want to like go back to your base and just switch weapons entirely and just like not even bother with it for like this for like this hunt but in some break because of the well, one, because of all the switch skills, and two, because you can switch between two different loadouts. Like, it really feels like every weapon has at least one thing in its arsenal that it can use quite effectively against, basically, um, whatever monster you're fighting against. Yeah. So, you're never, so you're never feeling like, oh, this is just a terrible matchup. This is just going to be a, be a terrible time for me. Like, there's, there's none of that, I feel. Yeah, like, every weapon feels viable. Um, and then, I guess, Jono, have you played any Monster Hunter or seen any Monster Hunter? Seen Monster Hunter, not played. What would you say, like, what's your impression of how the games go, um, just from what you've seen? In my, from my impression of the Monster Hunter series, it seems like it has a ridiculously tight and addictive gameplay loop, which is the classic uh you know come up with a set set up your character set up your i guess your party come up with a plan 
go out into the wilderness, wherever that is, uh, attack your, uh, find your prey, I guess, find the monster, uh, which is essentially all monsters, at least the, the more popular ones are essentially all bosses, uh, come up with a massive strategy to fight against this thing, fight, 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 beat the monster, uh, go back to town with the spoils of victory, repeat. That seems to me to be the gameplay loop that I've seen, and it seems to be a very satisfying one. Yeah, and uh, one of the best parts about Monster Hunter is that even though you're kind of doing the same thing, in a sense, over and over, you you know, you're building your gear, getting better weapons, going out hunting the monster, and it's just a huge, in a lot of cases, very like set piece almost kind of boss fight that can take, at least in world, up to like 45 almost 50 minutes um and so but the thing that's really great about the monster hunter games is that you have that you have like two means of progression you have like your gear and how you're getting better stuff as you kill the monsters but then there's also that personal progression of you getting better to where you fought this monster you you know its patterns you know what it's going to do you kind of have control over the battlefield and for me that's where you as the player kind of like level up and get better to where before you know it, that 45 minute fight, you're knocking it down in, you know, three minutes flat. Like mm-hmm. it's a really interesting thing. And it is one of the most rewarding games uh, that I've played in a long time, just the any monster hunter in general. And it really feels like the perfect way to lose track of 600 hours. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask this then. Um, and I, I realize that this question is going to be extremely difficult to answer because of the way these games are set up. Um, how many additional hours of content and gameplay do you think that Sunbreak adds to Rise? Realizing, of course, that this is the kind of game which easily hundreds upon hundreds of hours can be invested into this to refine your skills to fight monsters. It just, it's just fun. Um, but in general, how much would you say has been added to uh, added to Rise? Hmm. Um, I mean, with how Rise is structured, I feel Rise also has a much better, um, it's much better structured in the way that it unfolds its content. There's a lot, there's a lot of like hidden content and content that I, I just, in general, I feel it is much better paced than Iceborne was, which I feel Iceborne was very, like the base Iceborne was pretty meh, but then like the post content updates for Iceborne were amazing. So, but for just just base Sunbreak, I'd say minimum like 150 hours if you're not like hunting hunting for like perfect monster time, like hunt times. Yeah, I guess it kind of depends on what you want to do as well. Um, like if you're just the kind of person who plays these games solo, just, you know, play it, hit credits and then drop it, you can probably get like maybe... 40 to 60 hours out of it. I'm mm-hmm. looking at my Steam play time and it says 36.2 hours in the past two weeks. And uh, I think it came out on Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I always so, fun to look at the Steam play time and be like, that's impossible. That's my badge of shame. Uh, There's no way that's the case. Oh, no. <laughs> right? It's even worse when I look at like my world play times on PS4 and Steam because you put it all together and it's like 800 hours and it's like, where did all that time go? Oh, right. I was slaying monsters. <laughs> uh, with this one, I would say, yeah, you'd probably get about 150. What's also interesting is like they have these new things called like follow requests to where you can have AI come with you. And what's really neat about those is that it kind of recreates the multiplayer experience sort of so for people who just kind of want to you know do some solo stuff get some new weapons get some new story content you can go out there with ai like 
on top of your dog and your cat, which also reminds me, like they can also join you in multiplayer for some quests. So what's been really funny is that if you're playing with four people, so you have four hunters and then they're, they're Palico or Palamute, which is the little uh, cat or dog helper. Mm -hmm. Then you have the NPC who's coming with you as well. And they have their own dog or cat. So you can go into some battles and it is literally 10 versus one and it's essentially like a raid fight from you know like world of warcraft it's really chaotic seeing cats and dogs flying all over the place lightning bolts and bombs exploding (laughs) and like you know people with uh gun lances just rocket boosting across the screen it's a really fantastic experience especially when you get that that full party plus npc and that poor monster who despite being outnumbered can probably crush all of you in one blow and embarrass the whole party. The best is when when the four human control players all bring two traps each, so the monster is trapped for like twenty seconds as you just wail on it. <laughs> well, unless it's an elder dragon, but and then you see the uh, the poor guy put down a trap on the elder dragon and then wonder why it doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about the monsters for a second because this game uh, adds quite a few. Are they new or returning monsters, or is it a mix of the two? Mix. It's a mix. So what would be some of your favorite returning monsters? I mean, I guess it was revealed. I guess Gormagala. Gormagala is... Or I've I've only ever seen footage of Gormagala. I didn't play any of the games where Gormagala was in it, but Gormagala is a is a fan favorite. And it definitely is like one of the more, more interesting dragon designs as well, because it, it, like, it wears its wings like a cape throughout most of the fight. So... I was very excited to be able to fight him, and I don't know. In general, I did. For the record, I feel Rise has, or Sunbreak has, like a thousand times better base monster roster than Iceborne's base roster. Putting that out there as well, I would agree for the most part. Although the lack of Glavinus really makes me sad because that is one of my favorite fights and like one of the most hype battles that I've ever had playing a Monster Hunter game is like narrowly dodging this like fiery. Uh, tail sword mm-hmm. um, but yeah. also agree that like the sunbreak monsters are really great so far and one thing that i've noticed as i've been playing is that there's this very like i guess for like lack of a better term like castlevania kind of um feeling to it so like the the flagship monster or the one on the cover mm-hmm. uh, malzino he's very vampiric looking but then you have like uh luna garen who is like this wolf that after he charges up and gets enraged he stands up on his hind legs and he's more like a werewolf so it's been really interesting seeing like the kind of vampire and werewolf and like eastern european fantasy yeah um like tropes mixing in and so with like gormagala or magala or however you say it um one thing that was really interesting to me is like the way that he does wear those wings like a cape mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of have you ever played uh the kingdom hearts games oh i haven't played them unfortunately uh well i'm sure you've seen uh beauty and the beast yeah, yeah, yeah. of course <laughs> so the way that he kind of runs with his cape reminds me of a scene from like you know beast like running through the castle mm-hmm. with, like his cape wrapped around him it was a really interesting like visual flair mm-hmm. that kind of stood outside of the like you know vampire werewolf aesthetic that we have but it still kind of had that like you know creepy monsters skulking through the castle yeah um and like speaking of castles i'm really in love with the like citadel map mm-hmm. and especially having played uh elden ring uh a couple months ago actually tackling that map it was interesting to kind of get those like crazy like dark souls 
Elden Ring vibes, just kind of exploring around this like ruined town, mm -hmm. as well as the next map, the jungle coming back. Yeah. It was really nice seeing that, especially seeing it, you know, brought up in like HD 15 years later. Yeah. I just feel like the sun, the maps in Sunbreak are also, they just, I feel like they definitely take advantage or, um, they, they've learned to work around the fact that Rise just, you know, it, it can't have a world quite as lush and vibrant as world simply due to hardware limitations. But instead of that, they really made the gameplay of the maps, like exploring the verticality, the different layers. Like, I feel like they definitely really um, dug into that aspect of Rise for the map design in Sunbreak, and it, it definitely pays off. Like, even if, even if... Yeah, like it's not it's not quite as much of a like a walk in the like you're actually walking throughout through nature like in world rises maps or some breaks maps are definitely they're just super fun to traverse I feel this time around. One thing that I really loved in world was like you said the the kind of walk through nature where it really felt like you were in that ecosystem and every monster that you found like really felt like they lived there. Mm -hmm. And even in Iceborne is every creature that you found felt like, you know, that was their home and you were the one, you know, kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, like invading. Mm -hmm. And in Rise, some monsters felt like they kind of belonged and some monsters didn't. They felt like visitors, like, yeah. like Rathian and Rathalos being in the shrine, like that never really felt right i believe the technical term is invasive species <laughs> yeah so we the humans are the invasive species uh but one thing i like in sunbreak is that these monsters like garen Gollum and Lunagaran and gormagala feel like they live in these maps mm -hmm. or like the one of my yeah. favorite monsters the daimyo harmatar like it's a giant crab who wears the skull of usually a dead monster uh as it's like shell and you find him on the beach and you you battle him and he's digging through the sand and it, it feels like he lives there and that's something i really appreciate mm -hmm. uh in sunbreak and it does feel like they took a lot of feedback from uh world and iceborne and uh rise as well and kind of put it all together in sunbreak because even the cutscenes feel like they're straight out of iceborne yeah. in terms of like direction and what happens mm -hmm. so it's it's almost the perfect monster hunter game but if we could just get like, you know, how gorgeous Iceborne looked with how great Sunbreak uh, runs and all of these traversal options, I feel like we would have a Monster Hunter game that I'll never be able to shut up about. That's a hard agree right there. What I have heard about Monster Hunter, uh, the Monster Hunter series, is that realistically speaking, the story is just kind of there. Like we were talking a lot about the gameplay loop and, mm -hmm. you know, going out and coming back and, you know, coming up with new weapons and sharpening it. Uh, the story of this game, is there anything there to really draw you in, or is it just simply an excuse to provide a new a new locale, a new ecosystem to explore, essentially? Uh, the story is almost always the same in Monster Hunter games, is that there's monsters, they're a part of the ecosystem, you're a part of the ecosystem, something comes in to disrupt it that is not you or them, and mm -hmm. it's kind of enraging them and you know, it's it's kind of a more, you know, we have to stop nature from destroying itself, but we are also part of nature kind of story. I don't think Sunbreak does much to change that. I mean, I haven't beat it yet, but it does more interesting stuff with the characters. And so the story is thankfully skippable this time. If oh, you yeah. really just 
don't care because like plus. yeah uh one of the worst parts of monster hunter world and iceborne is that when you like let's say the three of us were playing together we all have to go into our own separate missions view our cutscenes, and then two of us have to back out and then join one of the others that seems um, clunky it's the clunkiest system ever and it it absolutely sucks trying to get new people into it because you're just like oh no you just keep watching we'll we'll quit out and we'll join you um, with Rise, you can really just kind of skip it if you really don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cutscenes, thankfully, are much shorter overall, or they take place at the end of hunts. So you're not holding anybody up. Um, it's it's nice. Like the story's just kind of there, in my opinion. And but if you're not feeling it, just skip it. Who cares? Um, but there are some interesting characters, and that's been the fun part and how they're kind of letting some of these more eccentric characters shine mm-hmm. um, and kind of have the stage for a little while. But uh, how did how do you feel about the story? Because I think you beat it, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the story pretty much follows a lot of the same beats from Iceborne. But um, one of the big pluses in the story for me is that A, there's no handler, and B, um, the character who replaces, who replaces the handler pretty much, who is Dame Hyorain, is super well one she's badass and two she 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 comes with you on hunts sometimes and she's actually like super helpful during those hunts as well so big ups to capcom for not having a useless ai sidekick yeah and uh Furian's character has been really interesting to kind of see how she interacts with people especially how she uh interacts with the uh, bahari the scientist mm-hmm. or the very terse and you know man of few words uh admiral admiral galleys <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting how you can kind of see how his demeanor is rubbing off on her like the more time she spends mm-hmm. around him. Like she's becoming more terse and very flat and matter-of-factly. And then when she does kind of lose her stuff, uh, you can kind of see uh, you know, her true self kind of shine through. And that's been really interesting, at least in terms of like character development and story stuff. But yeah, the, the story in Rise is kind of whatever <laughs> it is it is what it is it's superfluous to the overall experience basically which is the gameplay loop and watching these huge spectacle fights i feel like definitely sunbreak as a base expansion is just has so many more amazing like wow moments that are like actually also fun to play as well for instance like in in iceborne i remember one of the moments was there's a monster called um there's a monster variant called the shrieking legiana and legiana is like a big it's like a bird basically but the shrieking version in Iceborne was like what well, the first time you see it, it's like wow it's like it's like it's icy now it has like slightly different visuals but then you fight it and all it does is scream and fly so you can't hit it half the time so it was like it was, that was that wasn't fun but i feel in sunbreak not only does it have similar like wow and a lot of spectacle moments but the fight the fights themselves are also much much better tuned this time around feel it sounds like a lot of fun it is it is absolutely uh which is why this game has been it's one of those series that it is a rising star uh each game seems to be doing progressively better than the one before it uh and if sunbreak is any indication that trend will be continuing and i think i believe Solosi was the one who told me this that the monster hunter games are produced on a uh there's a cycle where there are always two games in development one is the console uh, development team and the other is the handheld development team mm-hmm. so this would be the handheld development team so next up would be the return to world iceborne development team uh and 
I mean, who knows when we'll see those games. This game is out probably. So maybe we'll see something at not E3 or actual E3 next year. Who knows? Yeah, we might see an announcement next year, I imagine, around E3. But yeah, if I can see it around like June. Timeline as world. But yeah, I feel like I feel like Rise is going to or Sunbreak is going to have plenty of content to tide people over for a while. <laughs> So well, uh, is there anything else you uh, you two would like to say about uh, Sunbreak before we move into the discussion question? Um, everything that I've seen and played through on Sunbreak has given me a lot of hope for the future. Um, it's like I said in in my initial review, and I believe Dom said it as well. Like if you haven't played a Monster Hunter game before, this is like the perfect place to jump in because there's so much like new tools and mechanics and quality of life changes that make it a really pleasant experience. That make you know veteran hunters lives easier and also it's a lot easier to be onboarded and so i would recommend it to anybody um who's like even got a passing interest in it because you never know you might find something that you and your friends can just go crazy on for like three four five hundred hours um and i'm also looking forward to what they do with the next monster hunter um as i like to call it you know how there's you know super mario world and super mario galaxy uh i always like to think of the next monster hunter as like monster hunter galaxy in a sense of like what new stuff can they add uh this actually nicely transitions into this week's discussion question which is not for me because it is very specific about this game series um i'm curious based on uh, monster hunter rise sunbreak what would you like to see in the next monster hunter game or the the in the future in future monster hunter titles what would you like to see them take from this or what new features would you like to see them introduce into the next entry in the series? Uh, so for me, what I would like to see in the future of Monster Hunter, and I'm hopeful that we get it in whatever the sequel to World is, would be more like open world experience to it to where they tried it in Monster Hunter World and Iceborne where you can have like 16 hunters in one lobby it would be more interesting to me to have like 16 hunters in one map to where they can have parties of four, kind of like an MMO in a sense, to where like maybe group A is out hunting a uh, Anjanath or group B is out hunting a Rathalos. And if like some event pops up, then maybe both groups can kind of converge and, you know, tackle this this group thing together. It'd be more interesting to see some like not so much survival elements to it, but if you just load into this like massive, almost open world um, MMO style map to just like, you know, I'm just going to go gather stuff. And if I see a monster, I'll attack it or I'll call for help or, you know, I'll contact my guild. I like to see just to kind of make it more of a kind of like living, breathing space with more people in it. Because while Sunbreak does have like better multiplayer options, you know, for friends, it it feels like you lose something in not having a lobby of 16 people just, you know, talking about what they just did or what they're planning to do or mm. going on raids together. Um, so I would just like to see kind of some expansion of the world in Monster Hunter, um, along with the mechanics that we've gotten from Rise and Sunbreak. I mean, there has been a Monster Hunter MMO, right? Yeah, Monster Hunter Frontier. Um, I believe it was PC and Xbox. And I I don't think it ever came to the West. It may have had an English version, I believe, in in Korea. I could be wrong, though. Yeah, it, and since then it has been discontinued. So that's on the that's on the way out. It seems like it's a series that is, in many ways, ready made for a MMORPG experience. Yeah, and Monster Hunter Frontier, 
has also kind of been largely ignored by Capcom as like, oh, that's something the other teams did. We don't want anything to do with it. Mm. Uh, so with Sunbreak, they actually brought a monster from Frontier into the roster. So it's kind of a nice acknowledgement of like, yes, we see that thing exists and we know there are like monsters that people love from that, you know, subseries. So it's kind of nice to to see that acknowledgement and bring over stuff. And I hope we get more things because like Frontier had these crazy weapon designs like boomerangs and all sorts of like experimental weapons that would be really exciting um, to see in a new like huge, you know, flagship Monster Hunter game. The side, this idea of an open world is really interesting to me. I think that having not played Monster Hunter, but having played a game that features extremely large creatures uh, living in the land, uh, Horizon... Uh, Zero Dawn and Forbidden West, uh, the machines, which are based off animals, uh, just live on the land and they live within their own ecosystems. Uh, and sometimes you can come acro- across ones that are just, you know, very, very benign. But other times you can come across massive monsters, uh, well, I guess, machines that are just completely out of your range. Uh, now, I understand that the, for the most part, the machines in the Horizon games are not to the same uh, what's what sort of complexity uh, as the ones here? Because you know, those, this is essentially it's almost like a boss rush game, whereas those are just you know enemies. But that idea of having a giant open world uh, and just going around in it and finding the monsters living in these various ecosystems—that seems like it has some mileage to it. Where it's a an open world would be, to me, logical. Yeah. So like open world or open zone like just some huge sandbox map that's kind of larger than what we have now i Mm -hmm. think that would be really exciting and uh you know like you said you know where there's the machines in horizon where they kind of exist in these ecosystems and their own biomes it would be really interesting to just you know walk from base camp up a mountain to go to the snowy top to go fight that ice monster that you need the you know extremely rare gem from i guess what i want is kind of the opposite direction of this in that um i mean not so much that i want like the games to be smaller or anything but one of the things i really enjoyed about rise was um how it introduces verticality to the gameplay both in terms of like you know just the combat and the map design overall and you know as a big also a big dark souls fan i feel this is a this is like a prime stepping stone in that in that direction of map design with like lots of shortcuts a lot more um i guess i guess what i want is um more intricate vertical map design with like more elevator with possibly like elevators or like um shortcuts to unlock and because i feel what it's one of the most exciting parts about um exploring the maps and rise as well is when you zip zip up to a spot where you honestly didn't think you could go to before and then you find like a and then you just go down this rabbit hole of like different paths and like twist and short uh, not shortcuts but like paths and like um this branches in the pathway and um for instance in the jungle map i i found myself all of a sudden in like a huge underground like like temple almost and that was like a that was one of the wow moments for me while playing through sunbreak so i wish they would continue um with this kind of map design that they've touched upon here with rise and sunbreak i feel like if we combined both of what we want we would get something like a monster hunter elden ring where there's like crazy verticality both you know up and down Mm -hmm. uh with like a sprawling landscape that would be kind of like a dream project um for me definitely and then uh as you were talking about uh you know not knowing if you'd be able to make it up a cliff or something when playing rise it it seemed like you had to break the 
the 10 or, you know, five, 10, 15 years of muscle memory and just memory of like, oh, I can't go up that wall. It's, it's an invisible wall. And then sure enough, you just wire bug up and you're ninja running all the way up to the side of a mountain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I hope that the next title certainly takes that verticality and expands on it. It would be foolish in my mind not to, because it seems to be one of the big innovations of the, of the series that people are really, really enjoying. And it certainly does create a more immersive environment to explore when you are not limited by, uh, I guess, a hill. Mm-hmm. Or just like, yeah, just landscapes that's there a set dressing, but like not actually a- available for the players to do more than just gawk at. It's nice that every map essentially becomes a ultimate ninja warrior course, <laughs> and you're kind of seeing how fast you can get to where the monster's at in as few jumps as possible. An interesting idea, I'm not sure if this would, this would require a lot of thinking, but if they were to really lean into the idea of the ecosystem um, and the idea that maybe some monsters are natural predators of certain other creatures, uh, and that if you clear a map of, let's say, one of the big predators, there will be a mild explosion of uh, their prey in that area, which could cause a variety of other problems. Like, it'd be interesting if your actions could have a direct impact on the ecosystem uh, that surrounds you. Mm-hmm. That'd be really interesting, especially if you know there's an apex predator and you go and tackle that um, just to get it out of the way so that you can get more of you know what's on the food chain below it, maybe a smaller less aggressive monster but one that you need a lot of parts from so it would be interesting to just take care of the problem so that you have more farming options available yeah shape your environment yes that would be really interesting hmm. agreed yeah because yeah the hunts the hunts even for apex predators it's still very much very gamey like you just set up the hunt and then you spawn the map and the map spawns the monster so it'd be interesting if the if that was more integrated into the ecosystem yeah fantasy and uh, alien ecosystems are uh, one of my favorite things about a lot of about uh, well video games nowadays and the more thought that's put into them and how how these systems interact with each other uh, the more immersive the world so I feel like if they were to put a little bit more thought into uh, immersing the player in that ecosystem, even more so than they are now. That could be an interesting direction to go, but who knows if they will or not. Hopefully they do. Well, I want to thank both of you for coming out and talking about Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak uh, at length. I know that it was certainly a challenge for both of you to talk about this game, considering uh, that all you want to do is go back and play more (laughs) of the game. Speaking of. (laughs) (laughs) Later, everyone. (laughs) Every moment spent talking is a moment I'm not hunting. Exactly. Um, so I will, uh, I will let both of you go and uh, allow you to get back to your respective hunts. Uh, so yeah, this was, uh, this was the 246th episode of Random Encounter. We have lots of other ones. Uh, please check our back catalog. We, there are lots of talks in there about Monster Hunter games. As a matter of fact, we had one a couple months ago where we talked about Rise. Um, we also have some other podcasts on the site. We have Retro Encounter, which is back after a break. We just finished talking about the very first Suikoden game, um, which was a two-parter where we we broke down uh, the game and how it lays a foundation that is really built upon uh, in future titles, especially the immediate sequel, uh, Suikoden 2. Uh, and also, uh, if you enjoy listening to a completely baffled Jono, I highly recommend you listen to the quiz show episode of Retro Encounter, which came out last Thursday. Uh, it is 
uh, it was an awesome time. I had so much fun uh, participating in this year's quiz episode. If you have listened to the ones in the past, you know the amount of insane work that Solosi puts into these quiz show episodes. So uh, if you're looking for a good time and you want to challenge your own knowledge of RPGs, give it a listen. We also have Rhythm Encounter, which is our music podcast. Uh, the last episode was Lunar Encounter, which I, I had a hell of a time uh, editing because, in a good way, uh, editing because, I mean, Lunar, the Lunar series is one of the most important uh, RPG series to RPG fan for a number of reasons, of which they talk about in the podcast. Uh, and it is a classic series with some really, really great music and not just the song that you remember, which is Boat Song. Um, Incidentally, if you like Boat Song, I recommend you check out the karaoke episode of Rhythm Encounter. <laughs> oh, God. Um, coming up next on Rhythm Encounter, we're going to be doing Square Dance, which is going to be focusing on strategy RPGs, uh, specifically ones you know that are in the, the grid system. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire me off a message at podcastrpgfan.com. Uh, I would absolutely love to hear from you if you have any ideas for future episodes or suggestions for discussion questions. Uh, please fire them off to me. Uh, if you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at jloganrpgfan.com or please come find me on Twitter at jono underscore Logan. Uh, but I am not the only person on this podcast with an online presence. Ness, where can we find you online? Uh, luckily for my health, not Twitter. Smart. Uh, but you can find me... Smart, smart, smart. <laughs> you can find me in the RPG Fan Discord. Um, you can just see my little name there, click uh, Des, and then you can message me. Um, I allow messages without friend requests uh, that's probably a bad idea, but oh well. Uh, and I'd be happy to talk about RPGs and, you know, any other topics that might be fun. Like Monster Hunter. Kind of like Monster Hunter. <laughs> and you, Dom, where can we find you online? You can also find me on Discord. Feel free to ping me at DHK on the RPG fan server. Cool. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and you can help us get the word out there about it. Uh, and you can rate us on iTunes or your podcast player of choice. Uh, again, I would like to thank both of you for joining me this week. Uh, I would like to thank everyone out there listening. And uh, whatever you're playing, have fun.